It largely is innate, but it can be taught. And when I say it's largely innate, you know, it comes more natural to others, maybe to some. And so if it doesn't come natural to you, you know, find someone who does it well and learn and mirror and match and sponge. And there's lots of tactics that I'll weave into this conversation that are helpful for this. And I think it starts with a couple things, but it starts with awareness, right? Like, do you care about this? And if you care about this, then can you do things to make it a priority and make sure that your team feels it's a priority? Welcome to the Rising Leader Podcast, bringing forth the new wave of rising leadership and helping leaders find purpose, connection, and results. This is your host, founder of Alluviance, Alex Kremer. All right, welcome back to the Rising Leader Podcast. And if this is your first time being on the show, welcome. We are so grateful to have you here. This is your host, Alex Kremer. I am unbelievably excited to be welcoming Mr. John Itell onto the podcast. First off, John, what up, man? It's good to see you. Hey, Alex. How you doing, bud? I'm doing awesome, man. It's interesting because you are the first person that I am doing my second podcast with. Now, the funny thing is we're not a repeat guest on the Rising Leader podcast, but about, what was it, maybe four, maybe even five years ago when I was hosting the Sales Engagement Podcast at Outreach, you came onto the show and it was like, since then, I was like, I think I need to kind of befriend this guy, John, and just see if I could keep that relationship flowing. It was a great moment. Actually, if I remember correctly... We were like in peak pandemic, like first six months of the lockdown here. I think we were in shelter in place and it was a crazy time. I had just started a new gig. I was in a pretty intense run and uh, yeah, we connected and I was going to say we quickly hit it off and I think actually chatted after the podcast and it stayed in touch and uh, yeah, I'd say became fast friends. Through the fire, we forged a friendship there. Man, and now you've recruited me here to Austin. So I'm in my second day in Austin and it's solely because of you. I hope you know that. I appreciate it. I was going to actually steal the thunder and say, welcome to Austin. You've always struck me as an Austin personality. So Austin welcomes you here and I'm excited to have you. It's going to be great to have you in this community. You just fit the mold. So it's great to have you here, Alex. Oh man, it's good. I can already feel it, man. I bought myself a truck. I got some cowboy boots. I do not have a cowboy hat yet, but I'm going to get barbecue tonight. So <laughs> you're, be, you're more Texan than me, man. I was going to say, I don't think I have half those things. So kudos to you. Man, well, you're the one who told me to get my Tacova boots. So I'm in it now. Oh, That's man. awesome. Great, great company to support there for sure. So, John, I'll just give a little bit of background to you for those who don't know your background. So, you are currently the chief sales officer at Demandbase. I think you've been there for just about eight months, maybe nine months going on there now. Previously, you were the global VP of sales and success at Canva for almost three years. And I mean, I think while you were there, I mean, first off, that's when I interviewed you on the Sales Engagement Podcast, but that's right when Canva was just completely starting to blow up. So I'm assuming you have some wonderful stories and maybe some, <laughs> oh my God, what's it like to be at a, a rocket ship company like that? Um, yeah, yeah. So that was a fun run. And yeah, you caught me right as we were starting that sprint. And I think when you and I spoke, we were about 200 employees. We quickly ballooned up to almost over 3,000 in two and a half years. So it was Crazy and scaling people, processes, systems, selling like crazy. And then, yeah, that's Pepper in that their world was in a complete state of, you know, kind of tailspin with everything going on. So it was a bit of a crazy time for sure. Well, correct me if I'm wrong. So Canva's headquartered in Australia and you were based in Texas. So you were working some crazy hours while you were doing that in the heart of COVID. 
Yeah, yeah. Setting the stage, my actual full remit was to open up North America for them. So you were absolutely right. Canva is an Australian-based company, and they had always been in Australia, and they made this bold new bet to actually move to the U.S. I was hired to open up the U.S. while they were also moving into B2B. So they had actually seen some traction with their offering and started to selling it to large companies. And so Canva has been this you know, really great story of product-led growth, but it's been largely consumer product-led growth, right? And so it was tackling a new market, a new audience, bringing a new product to market, building a new team in a new region. And so to completely set the stage in context, I mean, I wound down my post at my other job. I went to Australia for three weeks to onboard, spent time with the founders, got really excited and ready to go launch all these things in the US. And as I was flying back, it was the last normal day in the world. So it was the day that probably we all remember and will continue to remember forever. But the day I was in the air for 18 hours, it was the day that we all got texts every 15 minutes with more bad news, you know, baseball games, basketball games, school, work, everything just being put on pause and hold. And I think I actually took off and the last kind of words I heard were go back to Austin, go get an office and go build a team. And I remember landing and thinking, I don't think I need that office anymore. And I might quite possibly need to slow roll this team and, you know, let's figure this out. And so there was a lot of improvise, overcome, figure it out on the move. I think actually uh, the initial plan was for me to hire the first 30, 40 people and send them to Australia and get them fully indoctrinated with their culture. And then they'd come back and be ready to run fast and scale and multiply that culture here in the US. And immediately at that moment, the Australia border shut down. So I lost the ability to send people over. I had three weeks of onboarding maybe under my belt. I was quickly doing recruiting, onboarding. They sent me about 50 laptops. I remember my kids actually making the joke that this office that I'm in right now looked like a Mac store. Oh my gosh. Stacked with accessories. But we figured it out. And that was actually a really fun time. And you're absolutely right. I think a lot of the things that attracted me to the opportunity was the excitement of being able to bring a brand that I knew and loved into my home audience and market here. And I got the chance to do that, but I did probably about halfway in think, okay, gosh, I didn't think about the time zone overlap or the very much lack of time zone overlap. And for those that know, Australia you know, has very little overlap with us, I think, as we're winding down our day, they're beginning their day. And also you have an offset of days. Their Monday is our Sunday and our Friday is their Saturday. And so, yeah, I made for long nights, work over the weekends. During that time, also, we opened up EMEA. So I took on, actually, responsibility for opening up our European presence, which meant I just didn't sleep. So it was, like I said, fast and furious time at a time where the company was going through amazing growth in their valuation, amazing opportunities for us to just be able to take this in new places. So there was a lot of excitement to it, which always can give you some energy or give you some extra pep in your step when you're trying to figure those things out. Yeah. Man, I mean, it's funny. I was going to say, it only took you about half the time of being there until you realized that those hours were going to be a little bit tough. I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, you have three kids or four kids? I've got two kids. You I have got two kids, kids. okay. Yeah, two teenage boys. And so, yeah, my wife actually gets the funniest joke because as I was in Australia, spending three weeks there, she was home alone holding down the fort. You know, every day I got more unsettled. I think she was calling me and saying, I think they're going to cancel South by Southwest. And I remember thinking like, nah, it's never going to happen. And she called and said, hey, I think they're running out of toilet paper at the local grocery store. Like, this thing's getting serious here. And I remember thinking it's getting blown out of proportion. But anyways, her last commentary to me was like, I hear the borders may shut down. And if you get stuck there, I've been at home with two teenage boys. You're swimming home if that's the case. You're- you are getting home. Yeah. Whether yeah. you like it or not. What's funny, it's like I'm assuming that once you got onto the flight, what your marching orders were in terms of build out a team 
after that 18 hour flight and you landed, your marching orders were completely different. It was like, okay, restructuring what the actual plan and strategy looks like here. Yeah, it was. And it was interesting. It was actually probably good that we had this ability to just go heads down and focus. I think if you can find a silver lining and being locked in your house, because when you are launching a new market, launching a new offering, like we had no B2B system. I think actually when you and I spoke, I was building my entire tech stack from the ground up for B2B. And so I was going out and thinking about, we need Salesforce, we need outreach, we need all these different tools that we need to get up and running with. And I remember folks like you all saying, tell me what your tech stack is. And I'm like, I think we've got like email and Slack. And this is, again, a whole net new motion for them. And thankfully, I felt like in six months, I set up sales systems, I built teams, and I got an operation off the ground in six months, which I think I should probably have taken me 18 months in a regular time situation when I wasn't able to go heads down and focus and wasn't having to travel a bunch. And so in some ways, it benefited us getting things really grounded quickly. So it's interesting. I've said this before, where it's like the 2017 through 2020 era of tech felt like the golden age of tech. Everybody was selling. Everybody had budget. It was a grow at all costs. It was a wonderful time to be in tech, a wonderful time to be in sales. And then this little thing called COVID happened. And it feels like paradigms have completely shifted, especially within the tech world. It's not even just like hard in tech and sales and leadership right now. Things are just changing so quickly right now. Sure, you've got the market where the people don't have budget, quotas are getting harder to hit, whatnot. But I think more importantly, sales professionals are struggling to figure out, so why am I here again? Like even the people who are performing at a very high level, they're still questioning, so what am I missing here? Like there's a gap in today's market. I think people are more than ever stressed as hell. People are more than ever burnt out. People are more than ever, I would say, feeling a certain sense of loneliness because they're working from home, selling a product they may or may not care about, trying to hit a quota that may or may not be attainable. Like It's harder than ever before. And I know that we've had quite a few conversations walking on, what is it, Ladyburg Lake where we walked last time? Yeah. We met up early in the morning. And we were talking just a lot about what does it take to lead a sales team, right? I personally lead an account executive team and I lead an SDR team. I think you coined it so well. It's like, how do you manage the energy of other people? How do you manage the energy of your team to actually get them all moving in the same direction? And so I'd love for you to just talk about how do you go about managing the energy of other people and support your team that way? Yeah, it's a good topic. Look, I think it's interesting. What I love about your podcast is you really hone in on like people figuring out skills that are so important to them that it probably took folks like me a decade to figure out. And I would say it was something that I figured out prior to the confusion, chaos, and craziness that you described. And so I think it makes me more equipped probably to help. And I would love to share maybe my learnings to help others get through this because it's crazy. We really have you know a lot of people coming into this profession. I do feel like if you're only sample size of, you know, coming into sales is the last three years, then you really missed out on a lot of things and you really got set up and probably not the best foundation. And I'll go into some details on that because I do agree there's a whole subtopic we can talk about that. But I do think it is a very mental sport we play. So I feel like there is a lot of like, how do you manage your own head and others' heads here? And I think we have really, really messed up people's heads in a lot of ways. And so something to be weary of and watchful for too. I do think that the mental health burden just alone from the pandemic, I think we're just starting to scratch the surface and figure that out. And so be watchful for that. But I would say that the thing that I did want to talk about was 
You know, managing energy, and I would say, I think that's one of the like hidden job responsibilities of a leader in sales is how do you manage and motivate teams to bring their best every day and get the most optimal performance out of them. And I've seen it throughout my career. I see it show up in like survey results and just passing conversations that I have with folks on the team where it's like when I worked with Alex, we worked so hard. I'd never worked so hard as when I worked with Alex, but it didn't feel like I worked so hard with Alex, right? Because Alex was really great at understanding like when to drive, when to slow down, when to push, how to tap into intrinsic motivators, you know, things like that, really helping people figure out themselves. And so I think, you know, when it's working, that's what it sounds like. When it's not working, you know, I remember actually talking to a leader who was just cycling through people, right? It was just very much like iteratively looking for that perfect top player. And I remember I sat this leader down and was actually talking to him about what's going on here and why is it not always working? And he's like, we just keep looking for the right person and we can't find the right person, you know, and I have to go fire the wrong person that I hire, but then they leave and they go to another company and they turn out to be this top performer, right? Mm -hmm. I remember at the moment, I was like, he's hearing himself, I hope right now and realizing that he didn't figure that out, right? He didn't understand, you know, those motivators. He didn't know how to tap into that person's potential, right? Probably I was doing the opposite of managing energy was actually taking away or subtracting from their motivation to come to work. And so back to where I started this ramble here, it's a mental game that we play on the best leaders, the ones that figured this out and learned to tap into it. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, how does actually one go about doing that? Because I think it is really important. I mean, it's like a combination of you're trying to help. I mean, if you're managing a sales team, let's just give that example. If you're managing a sales team, How do you help them become a great first off sales professional, right? Teach them tactics, the strategies, the frameworks. How do you up-level their ability to do great discovery, to give a badass demo, to negotiate, to get multi-threaded, all that sort of stuff. But then underlying that is like, how do you enroll them into wanting to do that? Like, how do you actually get them saying, hey, do this because it's going to make you feel a greater sense of fulfillment. Like you're going to find purpose in it. There's going to be meaning that actually comes with it. And I feel like the people who can do that, I don't know if it's trained. Is it innate? (laughs) What is the thing that separates the great leaders from just the okay leaders or even the subpar leaders in terms of how do you actually get your people excited and enrolled into doing what they're trying to do here. Yeah, yeah. So many good questions that you just weaved in there artfully. So I'd say let me parse through them there. And I do think it largely is innate, but it can be taught. And when I say it's largely innate, you know, it comes more natural to others, maybe to some. And so if it doesn't come natural to you, you know, find someone who does it well and learn and mirror and match and sponge. And there's lots of tactics that I'll weave into this conversation that are helpful for this. And I think it starts with a couple of things, but it starts with awareness, right? Like, do you care about this? And if you care about this, then can you do things to make it a priority and make sure that your team feels it's a priority? I think even like I'd be remiss before I jumped into the tactics of how you do it with the team. If I didn't say also that it starts with you, you know, the old adage of when a plane, you know, is going down and they talk about putting the oxygen mask on, they talk about put it on yourself first and then you can help others. Like, you can't motivate and tap into people's energy and potential if you're not feeling it yourself, right? If you come in every day hating life, mad at what you're doing, unhappy in your current situation, right? It's hard to inspire happiness in others. And so I'd say like, it has to start with you. Like that's like base camp to any of the stuff that we're going to talk about today, that if you can't get to centered yourself, then it's going to be really hard for you to really transfer and tap into others' potential. So figure that out. And I think you talk a lot about this. You're great about it yourself. One of my epiphanies with you, Alex, is I wish I would have met you earlier in my career, because I do think 
you are really on the tip of the spear of thinking about how can you be more self-aware as a leader? How can you be more tapped into that? And how can you find the things that really help you find that balance and get centered? And so I think it has to start there. Find out what you're missing. Are you in the wrong role? Are you working for the wrong boss? Are you at the wrong company? Start to think about some of those things. How do you get to the right boss, the right company, the right opportunity? Is it in your own you know, kind of personal way that you're setting up your day, right? Are you coming into every day feeling chaotic? Like figure out how to get up earlier and build structure and build systems and build in things like meditation, breath work, plunge baths, as you and I talk about as well. Like what are the things that you can do to really help you get to your best self? Because it has to be part and parcel to this. So getting that figured out, and then you can now move into the part of how do you you tap into team's potential there, you know? And I think a lot of people sometimes, so sorry, Alex, go ahead. Yeah, before you dive into that, because I really want to double down on the leading yourself thing, because it's such a common thing that people say. It's like, oh, well, first you need to lead yourself. And like, yes, everybody has heard that at least a thousand times before. But I think there's so many different modalities in terms of how one can go about leading themselves. And you mentioned a few, right? Whether it be meditation, whether it be breath work, cold plunge, visualizations, you name it. You could go on runs, whatever it is. But you have to commit to it. And one of the things that I remember hearing somebody say is have a sacred space that you go to, whether it be a chair in your office or a spot in the forest, whatever maybe have a sacred space you go to, have a rhythm of refill in terms of how consistently are you going there. And number three, once you are there, the way that they said it, and I love this, is like grieve. <laughs> Feel your freaking emotions. Like, because especially right now, leadership is really hard and we're stressed. We're getting hit from multiple angles of your team is not performing or your team is performing, but this person is not, or we got this new initiative. And it's like, if you're not creating space for yourself just to allow those emotions to come through, you're not going to be serving yourself. And therefore, it's going to create a negative transmission to the team. And the second thing I would say is, When it comes to enrolling people into a vision, into what motivates them, if you yourself as the leader are not enrolled, say goodbye. Like it's not going to work right there. You yourself need to say, and I've caught myself doing this. Like there's been times I ask one of the reps on my team is like, you know, why are you here? What's going to get you going? But if I had the same person ask me that question, I'd be like, fuck, I don't know. Like, I'm just, <laughs> this is my job. <laughs> you know, like, I'm trying to make money. I'm trying to, like, survive right here. And it's a constant, like, why am I here? It, there's never going to be a silver bullet answer. It's going to constantly be changing. What I answer to that question one week could vary the weeks after that. And that's okay. It's just a constant reassessing of, why am I actually here? I remember this when I was at Outreach, when I was showing up with my team, like 2018 through 2021, like I was in it Outreach. It was my first time in a sales leadership role. I'd been working towards that for like my entire life, it felt like. And once I was finally there, I was so in and so wanting to just build a great culture and sell a great product and all that sort of stuff that that was actually the only thing that I needed to do because then I just created the frequency that flowed down to my team. They're like, damn, Alex is excited. Our leader's excited. Hell, I'm excited now too. And so it's just, I really want to like double down of like, if we are expecting and asking our teams not to be stressed, not to be burnt out, to be excited about what they're doing, we need to first say, am I? Am I that way first? Because if I'm not, 
I got to check myself before I start to go pointing at my team and say, hey, why are you not hitting quota or why are you not in this sort of thing right here? So this episode is brought to you by Alluvians. Alluvians is helping sales professionals and sales leaders master the craft of sales by transforming the inner game. Last year, we threw over four retreats and helped over 150 tech sales professionals, leaders, and founders. And next, we got it going on May 3rd through 5th in the beautiful Austin, Texas area. So make sure you apply to alluvians.co to check it out for more. So much good there. I'll double down on your double down, but I just feel like you're absolutely right. I do think it's often said, put yourself first. It's very cliche. Well, as servant leaders, and I think busy and professionals and just humans doing intense jobs right now, it's easy to say, where can I cut corners? Where can I sleep less? Where can I eke out more? And oftentimes it comes at the expense of you. And so don't do that. Make it a priority. Build a system that forces you to make it a priority. I think that's absolutely right there, Alex. I think that's where it fails. Like anybody can do it for a week, maybe two, but anybody can do it for three, six, 12 months. That's a habit that gets formed and built and actually is scalable and allows you to maintain without even thinking about it, right? It becomes like breathing there. I do think the emotions piece is huge too that you just keyed in on. And there's a lot of things that we do that I think are false narratives that maybe pop into our head, but I think it's like, in times of crisis and times like these, we got to show up with a brave face. Like we got to show up like we know everything's going to be great and that we've got it all under control. Right. And I think like an element of being vulnerable will go so far these days. But I see a lot of leaders go get it wrong because they think like, well, the team's looking to me in a crisis. Right. I have to be this brave leader who's impenetrable to any of this stuff that's going on in the outside world, like isn't phased or flapped by the lack of results or some of the things that are just not going our way. Right. And what it does is it actually causes distrust with the team. Like they can't connect with you. It creates this interesting dissident where the things they're seeing and the words you're saying don't align in their brain. Like our brains are pretty simple machines, but they try and connect the things we're doing, our actions and words, you know, with the things we're saying. And when they don't align, it causes distrust, right? And so I think folks that see you as like unemotional or in times of crisis, unflapped, not being able to be relatable actually will backfire, blow up in your face. So I'd say like put yourself first and also don't be afraid of your emotions. I think it's huge there. It's actually, I mean, you nailed it right there. And it's also one of the hardest things to do. So very fun story. My mom came and visited a little while ago when I was living in New York and I had just gone through a breakup. And I was running my community call with Alluvians and there's probably 20 or 30 people on this Zoom call. And I started out the call by saying, hey, guys, like, I just want to let you know, I just went through this breakup and I'm in like a fragile state in certain types of ways and I'm processing it. And I wanted to just share that openly and honestly here with y'all. And I got off the call and framed that to like lead into how you process emotions and create space for yourself. And I wanted to exemplify that. And I got off the call and my mom was like, why would you tell your community that? <laughs> you know, because she was sitting on the couch listening to my Zoom call. She's like, why would... You're losing credibility. Like they're going to look at you as like you're losing the mystique. And I'm like, mom, that might have been the type of leadership that was important in the 70s, the 80s, the 90s. Put them on this like, wow, you are a god and you know everything. And there's just like this whatever pedestal. But now what the world is craving is like, yo, dog, are you a human? Can I just relate to you? Can I have empathy for you? And also it creates a form of dynamic leadership where just because I'm the leader doesn't mean that the people who I'm leading can't also lead me. The amount of texts I got after that call, just be like, yo, dog, I'm here for you if you ever want to talk. Just 
it made me feel really held and also empowered them to lead me. And then it just creates this like, hey, we're in this together sort of thing versus me just trying to get you guys to do something that I'm trying to get you to do. Yeah, that's so cool that you did that. And I think you're right. There is a magical shift that's going on here and a change in like what used to work versus what works today. There's folks that have been doing this as long as I have, if not longer, who've somewhat lost touch with probably this new audience, I have to say, because I do think they probably mirror and match a lot of what your mom was saying there. And I think like the leaders of today show empathy, they show heart. I think it actually like dovetails well also into this conversation about the energy piece. You can't tap into that energy and get people to buy in and bring their A game every day if they don't trust you, right? And I think if you can't create that trust, then that's part and parcel and really the foundation of this. And I do think what you did there by letting your guard down and sharing probably opened up the door for others to come in and share and talk about things that are going on. And we all have shit going on in our lives, right? Another one of those false narratives is we all have stuff going on in our lives Yet we want to show up every day and look like we've got it all figured out. Like it's just natural. We want to be good at our jobs, right? And so we compartmentalize a lot of these things. Look, there's so much being heaped on people right now. We're doing more with less. You know, we're getting less leads, less opportunities, less share of wallet and people who want to talk to us right now in the sales community. And so like we're getting crushed from all sides, right? And if you can talk about what's going on in your life, be able to acknowledge it and then just move through it too. Like that's so helpful, right? And so really powerful what you did. And I would actually encourage like if anything, you know, folks take away from this is like, make sure that you are showing up being vulnerable and making it a good place for people to be able to talk about those things. It does create connection. I think there's this false narrative that we have in our heads that it makes you seem weak. And it couldn't be further from the truth, right? Anytime that I've heard folks that I mentor coach or talk about that, say that I honestly want to shake them. It's quite the opposite, right? It actually shows some strength that you're able to talk about what you're going through. And again, it opens up more conversation and freedom for others to feel like they can share as well. Mm -hmm. So we were talking about leading yourself and then how that translates to leading a team. So you've been at DemandBase now for just about nine months with chief sales officer there, which I love DemandBase, by the way, just massive plug there. And I know we've had many conversations just about how that the product and the company is evolving and maturing and growing. And I know a good amount of people who are at that company and each one of them is just like a 10 out of 10 type of person. So you guys have a great and phenomenal brand there. But prior to that, in between Canva and Demandbase, you went on a sabbatical, which is absolutely awesome. And I think it was eight or nine months sabbatical. You even post about it like on your LinkedIn. One of your titles is sabbatical right there. And when I saw it, I was like, what a <laughs> like that was honestly one of my first thoughts of like someone who is at the top of the leadership, the sales game within tech saying, hey, let me create space for myself. Let me create space for my family. I mean, you're two teenage kids and wanting to do that. And so I would love for you to just kind of elaborate on why did you do that? What was it like? How did you nourish yourself through that? And also, how did that really prepare you to take on this next endeavor that you are doing now? Awesome. Yeah, I'll talk about it. And I would say, before I get into what I did, I'll talk to you about like why I did it. Because I think that that's important too. And it's back to our own topic here about managing energy and ourselves. But, you know, we talked about my time at Canva. I was working insane amount of hours. And I do feel like there's a lot of folks who went through the pandemic and found a couple extra gears that they probably shouldn't have. I, I am a like a self-proclaimed probably workaholic. I drive a lot of satisfaction out of working hard. Like I think it's probably the secret to my success in a lot of ways. So I know that about myself, but I think also when left unchecked, I can get a little bit extreme on this myself. And I found myself doing that, especially as we started to open up Europe and managing teams in Asia Pacific and the US and in Europe. Like 
I was go, 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 go. And I will say, I probably pushed myself into an unhealthy zone and I didn't realize it. Thankfully, I've got a great partner in my wife and that she spotted this in me, but she had said actually during the pandemic at one point that the boys would value actually having more of my presence, right? She was like, when you're in the room, they actually are different kids, right? They're teenage boys, they're acting out, they're pushing boundaries. They're both almost six foot. My wife's five foot tall. And she was like, look, when you show up, like they snap in the line when you're not, they're joking, jabbing, you know, pushing boundaries with me. And for me, like, Alex, that was probably that one moment where it was like the knife to the heart, because I do feel like my kind of personal compass is I try to be foolishly good at everything in my life, which means I fail often and I get up every day and try again. But at that time, I realized that I was failing probably in the area that I should care about the most, right? Teenage boys, my oldest was getting ready to go to college. He was a year away. And so I had this momentary thought of like, gosh, the last three years I spent at camp, I blinked and that was his high school experience. And I found myself thinking, I'm going to miss him going off to college and I'm going to blink again. And my youngest, who's a freshman, is going to just go right through the same cycle again. And so it was an interesting thing. But at the beginning of the year, I had this epiphany that I was like, it's time for me to put my family first, right? To prioritize them and take some time off. I want to do this. And so I went to the founders at Canva and said, hey, it's time to find my replacement. I want to make this big leap and do this. And I think actually when I told my wife I decided to do this, she gets the knife in the heart moment of telling me that I'm sucking at my job of being a father. But like, I think she also gets to be the hero in the story because she was like, wow, like I didn't think you would do it. Though you talked about it and she was like, and look, the message you just sent to our kids is amazing and so powerful. And so I took the leap of faith to take some time off. I will say it's something I'd never done in my life. I'm sure there's a lot of folks on here who have never done this in their life, would never even think about doing this in their life. But for me, it was the most important thing for me to do at the right time to do it. Thankfully, I can give some nuggets to folks that are thinking about this too. Like I sucked at it in the beginning. Like I think if you're used to going 150 miles per hour and all of a sudden you go to zero, that's hard. And I've been doing this for 20 plus years. And so it was a bit of a weird moment when I stopped. And I remember the first month that I was off, people were making jokes and jabbing and saying, did you sleep in until noon? And I was like, no, I'm still getting up at 6 a.m. doing my thing. And I'm pretty well trained to this process. And I didn't realize it, but it probably took me a solid month to just deeply exhale. Like it took me a month to be able to say like, okay, be okay with doing nothing enjoy this time, be present, be in the moment. I thankfully also had a friend who caught me right as I was going on this journey and basically said like, look, I'm going to give you a three minute drill of advice here, which is perfect for folks like me. But he was like, I need you to say no to everything for at least two months. He was like, I want you to just say no to everything that comes your way because I know you, John, and you're going to need to be needed and you're going to feel this urge to replace some of these things that you've been doing with others. And he's like, so everybody's going to come to you because they're going to hear you're taking time off. And they're going to say, can you get coffee with me? Can you mentor my startup? Can you spend time with me on this? You know, And he's like, and you're going to say yes to everything. And he's like, I'm going to come back to you in a month or two, and you're going to be still working 80 hours a week. (laughs) And it's going to be none of the things that you care about. It's just all the stuff you let in. And so I think actually at the time he said it, I was like, oh, come on, that's easy. I don't need to do that. And I will tell you, like, two weeks in, my wife was like, what gives? I thought you were taking time off. You're busier than you were at Canva. You know? And I'm like, uh, I can hear his voice in the back of my head. So I say for those that are contemplating doing this, like get good at saying no, that was probably the toughest thing for me to do. And like I said, I thought I would do it in my sleep and I nailed screwing it up really quickly there. And so figure that piece out. I think the other thing that he gave me that was great advice was when you do get to that equilibrium, it's going to be great because you're going to be settled. And then now you let the things in that you want to let in based on what's important to you. And so 
Based on the criteria I set, I was like, I want to be a better husband. I want to be a better father. I want to be better to myself. And so I was like, those are my big three. And if they hit those criteria, then good. If it doesn't, then it's just not going to happen probably in the next few weeks. And so it really led me to maintain focus and prioritize the right things through the kids, my wife, through myself, like getting back in the gym and getting back to some of my practices that I kind of let go. And so super helpful to build that into it when you're going through this process. And then back to the being vulnerable thing. Actually, this is an interesting one. I put it on my LinkedIn right out of the gates and I gave it a funny name. I called it a professional pause. And I was like, this is going to be some time that I take off and put it on LinkedIn. And there was never a thought that I wouldn't. But I do think right out of the gates, I was met by another CRO friend of mine who said, oh, it's interesting you put it on LinkedIn. And I remember he at that time transferred his own, you know, I think guilt about this on me or his own insecurities where I was like, crud, should I have not put it on there? Like in my mind, all of a sudden I went to this weird, dark spiraling place of, does this make me look weak? Does this make me look less marketable? Like, does this make me look like somebody who doesn't care about their career or profession? And the answer is absolutely not. And that's the funny thing. And so I couldn't have been more happy that I did put it out there. And I'm glad more folks like you came out of the woodwork to say like, badass, that's awesome that you did it. It was also a great signal to the world because I think, as we mentioned also, a lot of people have been through some intense stuff. I think actually professionally, personally, and they haven't really, you know, that's the other thing about the pandemic that was really tough was we all self-isolated in our own ways and we all dealt with things in our own ways. And so by putting it out there, I had a lot of friends who came out of the woodwork who were like, gosh, I didn't know how to talk about this, but like my wife and I are going through a divorce or I've had this traumatic thing happen to me and I haven't been able to process it. Taking off time from work is something that never even entered my mind, right? It didn't even seem like something was possible, you know? And I think it's silly, but I think that we're so hardwired to not even think that's an option. They saw me do it and it was almost like, tell me how you did it. Could you just be a little bit of a guidepost to me on this and tell me about how did you set this up? How did you get things in motion to do this, you know? financially, how do you set your life up to take this time if you can, but also like, how do you prepare yourself mentally too for it? So I think there's so many good things that kind of came out of it. And again, it was a great example of what you think versus reality can be two different things. I think actually the funnier part was I did agonize over some silly things. Like I agonized over like, what if someone asks me at a dinner party, what I do and what am I going to say? And that's the silliest thing. Again, if anybody's worried about that one, I'll just tell you, it was, you know, you're going to be the coolest guy at that dinner party by saying, (laughs) oh man, this is, (laughs) Yeah. So anyways, that was a good thing there. And the even funnier part was, I I mean, I really did commit to take some time off. I talked to a lot of folks who say they want to do this and all those personal situation driven, right? And you have to be able to make sure that you've set your life up to do this. But I have a few friends who've been like, yeah, I'm going to take a month or two off. And a month or two off is tough to do, unfortunately. And I've done it because I just feel like by the time you wind down and then you start looking for another job, it's really no time off. Right? You know, I think honestly, like if you switch from one to the other. So it's like the person who says they want to go to Europe and they buy a ticket to London and they fly to Heathrow Airport and they get off the plane and then they get on a plane and fly back to the U.S. Like that's what a one or two month break can be is it sometimes doesn't allow you that time to really deeply exhale, like I mentioned, and actually be able to be present and get those great benefits out of it. Everybody has to do what's right for them. But I think that's what I encourage people is to do more. And so I kind of had said, I want it to be three to six months. Like I won't put an end date on this because I don't want to have this intentional looming over my head. Like I've got to get back to work right now. Peace here. And I think the funniest part about it was recruiters were reaching out to me and I first took some recruiter calls, but I was like, Hey, I'm not ready to go back, but keep me in mind for future. And it doesn't work. Recruiters are salespeople. They want to get you in a job. And so I think actually they were like, no, no, meet with this founder. Come meet with this person. Like they want to meet with you right away. Like, I know you're not ready to come back, but just have a conversation. And so I was like, I got to stop having those conversations in general. 
So I avoided all the sales calls from recruiters and it built this weird mystere where a friend who was a recruiter reached out and was like, hey, in the recruiter community, everybody's like wondering what's up with you. Like, why do you not want to work? Because like now they really want you to work like because you don't want to work. You know? And I was like, oh, that's so funny. What I was fearful was a weakness. It turned out to be the best guerrilla marketing tactic I could cook up in my head there. So anyway. Man, they all wanted to say like, hey, how can I get the job that's going to make him want to leave his professional pause right there? Oh, man. So a few things that you said that I really love is, first off, you said, what a great example that you were then able to set for your children, right? Of like, hey, I'm, I'm here to take some time off. Kudos to you for doing that of just like, hey, you truly did backed it up. Of like, I put my family first right here. And the second thing you said is like, it took you a month, maybe two months to actually settle in. And I think as leaders, as sales professionals, we're very achievement oriented. That's a wonderful part of us. It's a very go, go, go sort of thing. And it's also can hurt us, right? It like prevents us from actually just like dropping in and being in the moment and just like settling where we're at. Yeah, even related to like, once you hit quota, guess what? That next quarter is going to be even higher and you're going to have to push even further. And then again and again. So it's like, there's never the time just to be like, yo, can we just settle and enjoy where we are at? And you also said something about satisfaction. I just listened to a phenomenal podcast with a Harvard psychologist. I can't remember his first time, Andrew Brooks or something like that. We talked about satisfaction comes from doing something incredibly hard and achieving it and then doing more hard things and achieving it. It's like the satisfaction comes from the doing the hard shit right there. And I think that was just a great example that you said throughout that. I have a maybe an honest, direct question. So many people, I would say, aspire to be a chief revenue officer, chief sales officer. Yet when I look at people who are in the chief sales, chief revenue officer role, they are busy, man. Like y'all are doing a ton. Y'all are leading teams, you're selling, you're evangelizing, you're talking to the board. I mean, the list goes on, you're recruiting, all of it. And so when you took your professional pause, has that changed now how you show up within the corporate world? Like the type of leader you are now, is that different than the type of leader you were before when you took your professional pause? How are you bringing that into your day-to-day? Yeah. Good question. Look, the honest answer on this is all these things shape and change us. And I do think it's given me a different way. I haven't changed as a person. I would say as a leader, folks on my team, maybe I would hope that three companies ago would say I'm the same leader today as I was then or still certain elements of me are the same. But I do think like the way that I manage my own headspace really has shifted and changed in a really good way. The way I think about work and balance too, I think is interesting too. And I think that's another cliche one that we could totally beat around for a bit here, you know, the work-life balance myth. But I think there is a way to be able to do all the things well, and you have to be able to put those guards and protections up there and be able to put guardrails for yourself. And if you're someone like me, who just wants to win at all costs and like, we'll pour more of myself into a problem and we'll just go, go, go. Like knowing when to stop and when to put in some of these protections for yourself, like I'm mentioning here, I think those are the keys. And then being able to spot that in others, like I do think some of the things that I really enjoy about what I'm getting to do, I'm in extra innings right now. Like I am in awe with folks like you, Alex, and like this new school and uh, crew of up and coming leaders. And it's probably like my 
I'd say first or second to last gig that I'll probably have. And it's nice to be in that spot knowing that and actually say, look, I'm going to just do this. and I'm going to have fun. I think it actually changes my perspective a little bit about this. I want to help set the stage for folks like you, Alex, and others to come after me and yeah, take this place even further and faster and involved as a new school of, of sales leaders out there. But yeah, I would say it definitely changes my mindset, whereas probably, and that's the stuff that you can't see on the outside, but the stuff that's inside this crazy thing probably would show up more as I'm having fun, right? And I realize that and I also am able to realize it in others here and, and help them through some of these things. Mm. Well said, well said. So I have one final question for you before we hop off this thing. But before we do, I just want to acknowledge you, man. I love just receiving your leadership, receiving your wisdom. I think what you are doing, whether it be a demand base or just kind of overall the brand that you have, it's admirable. It's also warm and welcoming. There's some chief revenue, chief sales officers who I speak with. I speak with a decent amount just through work and whatnot. They're terrifying, man. And they're mean. They're very achievement goal oriented. And while that stuff is definitely important, you bring such a warm and welcoming. It's just like, hey, I'm here to be a good guy. And so I appreciate that. And I appreciate the mentorship. And I'm stoked for, for the many more walks around Ladybird Lake and, and the cold plunges and all that sort of good stuff that we get to have here. So my last question for you is this. The show is called The Rising Leader Podcast. What do you view as the rising leader? Man, I think it's a lot of what we've talked about. I think the rising leader, someone who's in tune with themselves, right? They're self-aware. They understand, you know, all the things that we talked about, like how to tap into their own self-drive worth and potential here. And then they're able to transfer that to their teams, right? And help them tap into and figure out those things. I think that's the ones that really speak to me when I hear that title there. The folks that really invest as well into setting their teams up to be more successful than them, right? I actually became a people leader before I became a parent. And I quickly learned that my philosophies about parenting and people leadership weren't too far apart. And that's fun to realize there. But as a parent, I want my kids to see and achieve things that I didn't achieve. But I want them to have it easier than I did, but not so easy that they don't feel like they have that feeling of accomplishment. They've got to earn it and they've got to feel like they deserve what they achieve there. And I also want them to think of me as always a hard ass. I'm sure they'd probably say that I'm hard, but fair. I hope that if you were to interview my teams, that's the same thing that I would say. So I think that the folks that can really figure that out, that understand that and want their teams to achieve more things than they ever achieve, like those are the ones that will get ahead. And actually, their teams will go on and do great things. The legacy they'll leave behind will be even more massive. And so those are kind of my, I would say, a few stories, anecdotes, and thoughts of what I think of when I hear that name. Mm. Aho, man. Aho. Well, hey, John, I appreciate you joining. And for all the listeners who joined us here, thank you once again. And if you know anybody who needs to hear this pod, receive the wisdom of Mr. John Itell, make sure you share it with them and click subscribe on Spotify. But with that, have a wonderful day. Thank you, John. Thanks, Alex. Thanks for listening to the Rising Leader Podcast. Make sure you hit that follow button so you get notified every time a new episode releases. If you know someone who wants to take their lives and their career to the next level, Send them this episode so we can all rise together. For more information, check out alluvians.co. We'll see you next time. And in the meantime, keep letting it flow.
This episode is brought to you by Alluviance. Alluviance is helping sales professionals and sales leaders master the craft of sales by transforming the inner game. In the past 12 months, we've thrown over four retreats and impacted over 100 tech sales professionals, leaders, and founders on diving in deep on what really matters, but really mastering the craft and being in an incredible community. Our next Arise Immersion is coming up this May 3rd through 5th in the beautiful Austin, Texas area. And make sure you grab your spot. Check out alluvians.co to apply there. Hope to see you there.